Czech German Perspectives is brought to you by the Czech German Young Professionals Program. To find out more about the network, visit our Facebook page by searching CGYPP. You are listening to a new episode of Czech German Perspectives, a podcast featuring a variety of voices from both countries. This time we are offering you the recording of a discussion under the title COVID-19 and its impact on politics in Central Europe with Jiří Pehe, the director of New York University in Prague. The discussion was part of the online seminar of the Czech German Young Professionals Program on April 30, 2021. My name is Zuzana Listsová. Welcome and enjoy the discussion. Jiří Pehe, besides uh, his uh, activities at the New York University Prague, is also a well-known Czech intellectual and he comments regularly on uh, issues of politics and society in uh, Czech and international media. Uh, we will start uh, with his opening speech, and after that, uh, there will be possibility for you to ask the questions about topics you are interested in. So if you want to ask a question, please uh, write it into the chat uh, under the discussion on Facebook, and I will try to pass it to Mr. Pehe. So, thank you very much, and uh, we will start now with uh, the opening remarks of Mr. Behe. The floor is yours, please. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, well, the COVID-19 pandemic is a, is a big issue, um, and if uh, we uh, talk about uh, uh, Central Europe, uh, the pandemic and Central Europe, uh, I uh, would maybe start with uh, um, saying that there are, or there have been two major um, phases of this of this uh, pandemic in Central Europe. The first one was, of course, last spring in 2020 when it all started, um, and uh, during that particular period in the next in, in the in the first few weeks, uh, the governments in Central Europe. Uh, handled uh, the pandemic surprisingly well. Uh, it wasn't just the Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, but also Hungary, Poland, but also uh, the Baltic states. And um, uh, the question was asked, why? Why Why were, Why were? was Central Europe so, so successful? And at, at that time, of course, there were all kinds of theories about uh, people in Central Europe um, uh, uh, having been fast, having been vaccinated uh, repeatedly for all kinds of diseases during the communist era. So uh, some scientists argue that perhaps um, uh, people in Central Europe as a result uh, are in a way prepared for this uh, pandemic health-wise. Uh, then, of course, uh, there were other uh, theories uh, about uh, about why uh, it seemed to work uh, very well. I would argue uh, that uh, the main reason for uh, the initial success of the governments in Central Europe was the fact that they 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 went back uh, to what people in Central Europe knew very well. That means um, by introducing uh, across the board uh, measures such as closing borders in some countries like the Czech Republic in both directions, and basically declaring something that looked pretty much uh, like a state of emergency or martial law. Uh, this was uh, this was something that people in 
Central Europe, uh, especially older people, could identify it because this was part of their history before 1989. So they sort of fell back on on their instincts. And so in this initial phase of, of the pandemic, uh, Central Europe was doing quite, quite well. Um, the second uh, phase of the pandemic, however, was uh, uh, not so successful. And uh, again, um, I, uh, I would argue that it was because uh, um, of uh, the legacy of the, uh, of the communist regimes. That is um, um, weak state institutions, um, weak political institutions, and above all, um, unsuccessful attempts to do things uh, in, uh, in a targeted manner. Uh, in the Czech Republic, for example, there was a lot of talk about uh, smart quarantine, uh, smart measures and so on. But it turned out that uh, uh, transitioning from these across the board tough measures in the spring of 2020 to these smart measures was not um, easy. In, at times it seemed to be impossible simply because uh, the state institutions in um, in uh, uh, East European countries were not equipped for uh, that kind of uh, smart approach. Uh, all of uh, all of the Central European countries, post-communist countries, have weak uh, um, uh, state administrations. Civil service institutions are um, not uh, very well uh, protected from political pressures, and and so. Um, it turned out that um, in combination with uh, uh, populist uh, political leadership, um, uh, this, this uh, uh, transition to what these states called uh, smart, smart approach uh, was a recipe for disaster. And that, that actually happened in the fall of 2020. Uh, and again, in, um, uh, uh, at the beginning of 2021, in some countries such as Hungary, um, uh, the, uh, the state of the epidemic is still uh, tragic. Uh, some other countries, uh, such as the Czech Republic, uh, went through some very tough times uh, in January, February, and now after introducing tough measures, uh, they, are, they seem to be coming out of it. But uh, if there are any lessons, I, I would argue that it is, uh, uh, it is as I said, um, uh, weak institutions of the state, uh, which are highly politicized and unable to um, to organize things on their own. And uh, also, um, uh, uh, all of these countries are currently led by political leaders who uh, are um, in one way or the other populist, and they are trying to please uh, people at the time when they should not have done so. And now we are paying uh, paying the price. Thank you very much. I have a first question from our participants, which is closely connected to what was said. Uh, you were criticizing the, the system of uh, the government uh, in the Central European countries. Uh, and uh, we uh, would be curious if there is any actually uh, other system which prevailed and has proven to be better than our system in the crisis. Yes, so there have been a number of studies on this already. Of course, um, we are with this pandemic for more than a year. And uh, those studies suggest that uh, um, uh, that the, the determining factor is not 
as many thoughts uh, whether you are um, whether we are uh, a democracy or a slightly authoritarian regime what really matters is um, uh, it's a high level of uh, trust between um, uh, the institutions of the state and citizens uh, so the citizens have to have a degree of confidence that they're uh, not only political leaders but above all uh, state institutions are able to respond well, quickly, uh, and and so on. So uh, one could see that uh, some states, uh, such as Singapore, which is certainly not a model uh, democracy, in fact, it's not the it's not the democratic regime at all, uh, did very well um, because uh, the level uh, of uh, uh, trust between the government and citizens is is quite high and the state administration worked. The same is true about some um, other countries where um, uh, the trust uh, uh, between uh, the government and citizens, uh, especially between the states, uh, state and the citizens is high. Uh, so, um, for example, some Scandinavian countries uh, and, and so on. Then, of course, um, there were aberrations uh, which were caused by probably uh, geography, uh, uh, for example, uh, all uh, islands, uh, island states uh, did very well I initially. Uh, Iceland, um, uh, uh, Greek, uh, Greek islands, uh, then of course, uh, ta uh, uh, Taiwan uh, and, and some other countries which uh, were able to um, prevent people from coming from the outside and they were able to handle uh, the situation quite well. And um, what is really interesting, and maybe that deserves uh, a deeper discussion, it's not uh, uh, entirely um, uh, scientific, but it's an observation. All states which are headed by women have done exceptionally well. Uh, whether it is because female leaders were able to seek consensus, listen to the experts, were not uh, banging the table saying this is how it will be, um, that's a question, but the truth is that uh, all of the countries uh, that uh, have uh, women as prime ministers or presidents did better than uh, the rest. We are talking about uh, Scandinavian countries, of course, Denmark, Norway, Finland, Iceland, uh, Taiwan, um, and, uh, and also in Europe, uh, Germany did quite well in comparison with some other countries, and of course, uh, uh, would probably have done even better if uh, if it's not was um, or if it were not federated some of the measures um, uh, in some of the lenders. So it's um, it is uh, it is certainly a um, uh, a lot to look at. But uh, yes, uh, there are all kinds of factors that uh, that have played a role, and one could say that certainly um, in um, in in uh, in, in those countries, which I mentioned, uh, uh, the pandemic was handled quite well, whereas uh, uh, it was uh, very populist. And that's another side of the story. The United States initially, Brazil, Mexico, India, all headed by uh, authoritarian populists at, at the time in the United States, of course, changed its government in the meantime, but um, but they were not doing very well. And that's because those people, those leaders were not willing to listen to 
experts um, and they um, they uh, sort of pander to the public opinion more than um, taking tough measures. Uh, certainly no, partly uh, this approach from our own country. Uh, I would be wondering if you think uh, in general, if uh, this situation is a chance for the traditional political parties, or if it's also maybe a, a chance for the populists uh, to get stronger in certain countries, or is it even possible to say that in general, or it just is very different in different countries and environments? Well, uh, it is difficult um, to say because uh, even uh, in in uh, the approaches uh, to the crisis uh, of populists, there have been two phases. One was the actual uh, epidemic, uh, how it was handled, uh, uh, and we could say that uh, basically populist leaders around the world have uh, failed miserably. But then in some countries where uh, we have populist, slightly authoritarian leaders, even in some democrat democratic countries such as Great Britain, uh, we, we could see that they were doing quite well when it came to vaccination. So uh, this uh, centralized approach to uh, handling this uh, uh, this phase of the of, of the epidemic, that means vaccination, uh, worked. Uh, and so we uh, see today, for example, Great Britain is doing very well um, uh, with vaccinating its people. The United States is. Uh, is also ahead of the pack. Um, and uh, it's not only because there's a new administration of Joe Biden, but because the previous administration, I think, prepared the ground quite well for uh, for a large vaccination program. So uh, when it came to, to dealing with the epidemic itself, with the health of people, uh, with persuading people uh, that they should take certain measures and so on, uh, politics got in, in the way. Once uh, this... Uh, uh, this phase was over, and those countries started uh, large-scale program programs vaccinating with vaccinating people. People, it uh, it actually mm, in some of these countries uh, worked uh, worked quite well. Um, your question about traditional parties, um, well, I think that uh, one would have to ask question: what uh, what is a traditional party uh, today? Because uh, one can define traditional parties by uh, the uh, uh, the duration of their existence, how long they have been around, uh, by certain structures that they have these complicated uh, hierarchical structures, um, they have ideologies and so on. Um, but uh, then you have uh, then you have uh, new parties which uh, um, use some of these features. Uh, they are less ideological. They are more um, fluid internally. Um, uh, but it does not mean that they not that they do not function as political parties. So, um, uh, in general, I don't see a big difference between um, uh, those two types of of parties. I mean, traditional parties and new types of parties. Uh, uh, where I see the difference is uh, populist parties with populist leaders and the rest. I think that. Uh, uh, parties with populist leaders, populist parties in general, have not done so well um, uh, in, in this crisis. Okay, and we have also another question from our participants. 
which goes a little bit in a um, similar direction. If uh, you think uh, whether uh, the democratic institutions will come out stronger out of this crisis or weaker, or even if people will look for a strong uh, and charismatic leader as it was uh, maybe in the 1920s or 30s uh, in times of crisis as well. Well, from what I have said about um, uh, about populist leaders so far, um, it is clear that um, that uh, there may be actually a certain uh, weakening of of, of populist uh, political parties and leaders because they really didn't fare well during the uh, during this crisis, and I think that a lot of people realize that. Uh, in situations like these where you have to listen to experts you have to uh you have to rely a lot on um, uh, state institutions and so on uh and you you are not uh, the one who um, has all the wisdom you have to share uh you have to actually uh, cooperate with a lot of uh, other politicians institutions and so on that these populist leaders simply have not done so uh, so well so my my hunch it is not yet clear is that um, populism um, as a political um, i don't want to say ideology but uh, uh, direction is uh, uh, has been has been actually compromised by this to to some extent uh we will see whether um whether um it means that we will go back to traditional parties with traditional ideologies or whether we will go um uh, to to some new uh, parties but not populist parties we can see for example in germany right now that the greens are uh leading opinion polls and um, and that's certainly a party which we could Call a new new type, new part, new party, but at the same time, it's already already also a traditional party to some extent. So um, this is uh, this is this is a difficult question because we don't have enough um, data to analyze at this point. Uh, what we have seen, however, is um, uh, the strengthening of um, of trust in uh, institutions such as the European Union. Uh, and that is very interesting because people felt during this crisis that um, that this is a global um, affair. This is something that uh, national state or nation states cannot handle on their own. And they were looking for help from the outside, some coordinated approach. And, um, and the European Union, of course, initially wasn't uh, working uh, very well. It was slow in responding, partly because, of course, Healthcare is not um, uh, uh, one of the areas which is handled from Brussels. Each state has its own uh, healthcare system. But then uh, Brussels got its act together. It came up with this huge uh, uh, financial package to help uh, its member states. It has uh, coordinated a lot of other efforts. Um, and I think that uh, um, it, it has really uh, strengthened uh, uh, trust of many people in, in uh, particular in this institution, uh, but also in some other uh, international institutions, because we can see that without, um, for example, vaccinating people in poor countries, um, uh, which it will not be possible without some in, with, without 
international help and coordinated efforts, uh, that uh, our own efforts to deal with this pandemic will be futile because uh, it's, uh, of course, it, it may be very, uh, for some people, very soothing that uh, we will be all vaccinated in the Czech Republic or in Germany. But uh, if India or African countries are not vaccinated, uh, the, the world will be a very unsafe place. Mm -hmm. Sure. I'm quite surprised that you talk so positively about the European Union because it was heavily criticized uh, for the vaccination campaign. Uh, and uh, in the Czech media, for instance, uh, this criticism was very broad uh, and very loud. Uh, do you think this criticism is fair uh, or uh, is it exaggerated? Well, I think that uh, it is uh, unfair to the European Union because the European Union, of course, acted um, as uh, as one institution that commissioned uh, vaccines and uh, and uh, as a result, uh, um, individual states uh, could get vaccines cheaper. Uh, and some states decided to to use this uh, common approach, but also go their own way. Um, and they actually bought vaccines uh, uh, on their own, but as a result, those those vaccines were more expensive. Um, and uh, no one, there was really no uh, no ban on uh, from Brussels on on doing this. So, uh, so I don't I don't think that the union is um, is uh, here to um, uh, to take any blame uh, because uh, quite obviously. It in the end uh, did what uh, uh, its member states decided or wanted it to do, and uh, at the same time, um, uh, everyone knows that the U European Union is sort of a huge cumbersome project, and uh, and uh, as a result, uh, things go slower, uh, happen slow more slowly than in some uh, in some countries that uh, can act uh, because of their size and. Uh, and and so on uh, quickly, such as Israel, for example. So, um, you know, there, there are always compromises to be made. And I think that uh, especially countries in Eastern Europe, which could not afford um, easily to purchase vaccines on their own outside this European system, because it would be more expensive, actually have benefited from it. Of course, they the price is that uh, it's, it's a bit slower than in the United States or in Israel or in some other countries. But some, some European countries which are members of the European Union, such as Denmark, have done exceptionally well. Um, so it also depends on the um, on, on, on the um, particular national government. Mm -hmm. Uh, Denmark has been mentioned quite often uh, as the best practice example of how to handle uh, COVID uh, in the European Union. Uh, would you agree with that? Yes, I think that Denmark is, uh, of course, uh, and not only Denmark, but uh, the other uh, Scandinavian countries in general. Of course, Sweden is a bit of an exception here because it experimented at the beginning with this rather loose approach, which didn't really initially paid off, but the rest of the Scandinavian countries and, and Denmark is the best example. Um, I've been able to use what I described earlier. That is uh, a very high level of trust of citizens in, in the institutions of the state um, and uh, willingness to listen to experts. Uh, uh, and maybe I should repeat again that all of those countries are headed by uh, female politicians, which uh, 
Arabs also played a role because of their willingness to to take into account various views and find best best practices. Uh, so um, uh, yes, Denmark is a very good example of a country which uh, uh, really benefits from the fact that people are um, listening to the government, that they trust their uh, civil service and state institutions. Uh, they trust in situations like these uh, uh, experts. And, uh, and at the same time, um, they are flexible enough to take their own steps if they see that, uh, for example, getting vaccines uh, would be uh, too slow if, if, they, if they relied only on this common pan-European approach. You also mentioned that uh, the level of trust in Central European countries in state institutions is much lower. Uh, do you think uh, this is a heritage of the communist regime or of the post-communist transition? Or uh, does it even go maybe uh, deeper and farther uh, into uh, our history? Uh, all of those things, I would say. Um, certainly it's a legacy of the communist era where the state was, um, uh, so to speak, oversized, omnipotent, but uh, it wasn't very efficient. And uh, then after the fall of communism, a lot of people blamed the state, which they associated with the Communist Party, uh, for a lot of things. So uh, the initial impulse by many politicians, especially right of center politicians, liberal politicians, was uh, that the state should be diminished and that, that uh, the state uh, sort of state institutions, strong state administration are um, sort of suspect. And so uh, in the first 20 years, certainly we saw a lot of efforts to uh, to cut various state services. Um, a lot of uh, politicians in Eastern Europe were mesmerized by neoliberalism. That means a small state and uh, and a lot of emphasis on the invisible hand of the market and so on. And all of that played a role. And uh, and also um, uh, the process of transition uh, by nature was uh, very tempting for a lot of politicians, a lot of leaders to, uh, to assume um, power, which uh, in normally functioning democracies uh, politicians do not usually get uh, for a variety of reasons. And, um, and so um, we, we could see that uh, uh, in, uh, in all post-communist countries, basically, um, uh, politicians tried to limit the independence of civil service in the Czech Republic, uh, a very good case. Uh, almost a case study, I, I would say, um, a country which uh, in 2002 uh, under pressure from the European Union, approved a new civil service law and um, uh, only to uh, basically suspend it the moment it was accepted into the European Union. And then for for 12 years, this law remained suspended and uh, the, the, the country uh, used the old system in which politicians could really choose uh, uh, top uh, civil servants, uh, uh, bring their own people into ministries and, and so on. And it was in 2014 when the Czech government was actually uh, forced by the European Union under pressure, under threat, uh, that uh, its subsidies would be cut to, to adopt finally a civil service law. A pretty good civil service law, I should say, uh, overall, but um, 
it lasted for about two years only. And then uh, when uh, the government of Mr. Babish uh, came to power, their first one of their first steps was again uh, to to limit um, to um, to actually uh, cut some of the provisions in the civil service law so they could bring their own people into uh, into ministries and then so on. So there's this temptation. There's this. Um, a misunderstanding, I would say, on part of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, post-communist politicians that they know better. They know uh, they know how to run things, and they don't need a civil servant uh, who will tell them, uh, "No, this is this is how it's supposed to be run. These these are the laws. These are the norms." Uh, and uh, and so we have uh, we have, of course, uh, uh, in comparison with Western Europe, that that problem, um, but. Um, your question about uh, the more distant past is also um, very relevant because we, of course, inherited um, a rather uh, cumbersome, uh, oversized, and, uh, and and not very efficient uh, uh, state administration from the Habsburg Empire already, and um, and uh, that was uh, something that uh, uh, was actually described in literature as a rather nightmarish. Uh, um, system uh, and uh, and then the communist uh, era came and uh, and I would argue that this this uh, system of uh, inherited from the Habsburg times uh, got married to um, to the communist system and it created uh, uh, the the worst of possible systems and we are coping with this legacy still. And it's been thirty years, but um, uh, but we are certainly not uh, not out of it yet. Mm -hmm. Sure. What we could see in the uh, crisis uh, we are still living through uh, is uh, that uh, the people are also not very willing to respect the laws which are imposed, and that uh, also uh, the uh, state is not uh, capable of enforcing those laws. Uh, how problematic is that, and can it have a longer, longer impact on the society as such? Well, uh, it all goes uh, together, of course. Um, what we inherited from the communist times was uh, a, a degree of disrespect for uh, law, uh, because it was uh, uh, it was not a law that was supposed to serve people, but to oppress them in general. And so, people were, in a way, trained to find all kinds of loopholes and and bypass the law and and so on, um, and. Uh, it was a, under communism. It was a, a national sport to to beat the system, so to speak, to to be smarter than the system. And this is something that we uh, have brought with ourselves, uh, with us to the new uh, regime. And so uh, a lot of people uh, really still do not understand that uh, the laws that have been accepted, adopted in the last thirty years are. Ours. They are uh, laws of, of a democratic country, uh, which were uh, which adopted them in a democratic process, and uh, that we should respect those laws. So we can see uh, in this current crisis, in the epidemic, uh, how many people are really disrespectful of of uh, the governments and laws and uh, various restrictions, um, and uh, and that is that is certainly something that. Uh, uh 
is partly at least a legacy of of the previous regime. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for this explanation. I think it uh, will be particularly interesting for uh, our German participants. Uh, I uh, have another question coming from uh, our participants, uh, and it's a bit provocative. Uh, how much is COVID uh, being used to cover up another unpopular problems, topics, and concerns? Well, uh, of course, it is um, it is tempting for politicians anywhere to use uh, a calamity such as uh, the, the COVID epidemic to divert attention from other pressing problems. Um, but I would argue again that it depends on uh, it differs from a country to country because uh, some countries will certainly try to use uh, COVID. Uh, Epidemic and uh, and the government uh, and governments dealing with it to um, to say, uh, look, uh, we don't have time for other important issues right now because we have to deal with this. Um, and then you have countries which uh, have the capacity, at least as, again, I will go back to the civil service. They have the capacity to handle more issues than than just this, um, but. Um, I would say that um, uh, it is um, uh, it is misused. Uh, certainly, it has been widely misused, uh, especially by uh, by countries that are run by by populists, and um, and in 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 all kinds of ways. Not just uh, not just um, uh, putting the COVID uh, epidemic first. But sometimes turning things upside down and saying, you know, we don't need we don't need to deal with this and so on. But still, even if you say that, then uh, the COVID problem stays uh, in front of everything else. So, uh, but I would argue that it really depends to a large extent on on uh, uh, the quality of government in each individual country, and it would be very difficult to. Um, uh, to say there is a rule that, that applies everywhere. Sure, uh, but also in countries which are run quite well, such as Germany, for instance, uh, we have seen uh, examples of lobbyism uh, throughout uh, the pandemics, maybe of corruption. Uh, do you think uh, this is something which is like normal or is it very common in crisis like that? Or uh, does it have a new quality? All crises such as uh, this one, uh, of course, um, are a great temptation for people to uh, uh, to make money, to get richer, and so on. Because a lot of things do not happen in a normal uh, way. They are extraordinary measures, state of emergencies, and so on. Even the procurement of, uh, of certain goods is uh, uh, streamlined, so it's not uh, what we are used to normally. And then as a result, of course, you will you will get in each country, even a country with, uh, with, uh, with otherwise a good democratic record and low corruption, you will get people who uh, will uh, try to take advantage of this and they will they will think, oh, wait a minute, this, uh, there is a need for face masks and uh, and I could uh, bypass the system, do this, do this, and maybe I could make uh, a few hundred thousand euros on the side. 
Um, and that's uh, that's uh, of course always a danger in in crises like 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 this one. In the Czech Republic, we are still dealing with uh, uh, issues uh, which uh, uh, which are tied to the procurement of uh, of uh, hygienic material, masks, um, uh, and and so on. Um, no one really still knows uh, how some of these things were ordered. Uh, how they were paid for, um, and uh, it, it will probably come out later. But uh, but of course, as I said, in a crisis like this, this is uh, this is a great um, temptation for a lot of people to uh, to make some money. Mm-hmm. We also uh, have seen uh, a lot of lobbyism in terms uh, of the restriction uh, uh, restrictions in different fields. Uh, and uh, there has been a lot of dispute over opening schools or football f- or football fields first or uh, opening uh, the businesses or closing the services and so on. Uh, do you think that lobbyism actually influenced the political decisions in those uh, fields as well? Uh, yes, I think that uh, obviously in a in a crisis like this, uh, when everything is suspended and people are losing uh, losing money, entrepreneurs, businessmen, uh, but also um, sport associ- sports associations and and so on, uh, there's a lot of pressure on politicians to to make exceptions to to uh, uh, say, for example, we will close uh, this and this and this, but this will stay open because we have a particular reason for it. So uh, again, it's a very, um, I would say, um, great temptation for some politicians to make concessions uh, to to certain lobbies, um, because uh, of course, uh, in desperate times, people make this, do, do desperate things. And um, and if, uh, if you, for example, run a football club, a soccer club, Uh, or uh, a league of, uh, of of soccer, and you know that you are losing every day because of uh, of the uh, of the restrictions. You are losing um, hundreds of millions uh, uh, from uh, uncollected uh, uh, fees, uh, uh, low sales of tickets, or no sales of tickets, and so on. Then, of course, uh, you will probably try to lobby with politicians to make an exception for you. And that, of course, creates all kinds of um, uh, problems for uh, <clears throat> what I talked about initially, and that, that, that is the trust for of people in the government. Because um, in the Czech Republic, for example, we have um, now uh, a gradual opening. Uh, uh, the, the, the restrictions are being relaxed, but they are being relaxed in, in a way that uh, many people uh, keep questioning because while uh, schools are not fully open and uh, restaurants are not open. Uh, already at How was this decision? Who made it and why? And, and one can sense uh, very strong lobbying pressures behind, behind all this. Uh, do you think this is uh, the reason why people uh, are not willing to respect the restrictions because they th- think they are unfair? I think that uh, there are two reasons. Uh, one is, of course, just uh, the duration of the whole 
uh, epidemic. It's been too long. People were willing to put up with all kinds of restrictions initially because they thought it would be over in two months, three months. But this has been uh, dragging on, and that uh, that is, of course, uh, a big problem uh, because uh, uh, then people start will start doing things which uh, uh, which are not uh, which they would not do otherwise. They they simply don't want to live like this. But um, I would say that it is easier to handle all of this, even this kind of psychological pressure. It's easier to handle in countries which are transparent, which make decisions in the most transparent way, and those decisions are logical. And um, and there is some kind of predictability. So those countries that have been able to make uh, decisions such as we will restrict this and this uh, uh, in, a, in a predictable way, and they uh, gave people some kind of uh, uh, hope that if they cope uh, properly, if they if they respect these measures, they will be able to to see the light at the end of the tunnel in two months. Then, of course, it it works better than in in the countries where uh, the governments change their decisions every every day. They do not communicate well. Um, and of course, we are now broadcasting from one of those countries where the government has been um, has been uh, extremely chaotic and unable to give people any kind of uh, far plan and uh, and it's uh, uh, it has taken its toll on on people's willingness to to respect government's uh, uh, restrictions uh, policies uh, and uh, of course um, uh, a lot has been said about the need for better communication and for doing things more transparently but um, it has not happened and it goes back to what i said at the beginning that you probably can do such things only in a country where you have transparent institutions efficient institutions not a country where um uh, so much depends on one or two politicians uh, who actually dictate uh, what will happen Sure. You mentioned the importance of communication. Uh, are there maybe some best practice examples of communications? Uh, what what can help in this regard? I think what can help is uh, 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 what can help is first uh, making things uh, uh, clear. The uh, a lot of these uh, a lot of these measures that are being adopted uh, in various countries are very. Uh, sometimes very difficult to understand. Their, the logic behind them is not easy to understand. Um, and, um, and so I think that uh, sometimes less is more. Uh, if, you have a, if you have a government like uh, here in the Czech Republic, where the Minister of uh, Health is uh, on television every other day, uh, saying, uh, explaining what, what his ministry and the government will do, uh, and sometimes contradicts himself and, and says things that uh, um, contradict uh, his plans from two days ago, then of course it creates all kinds of, of problems. So I think that what is really, what is really the key in, uh, in good communication in a crisis like this is predictability, it's, it's, uh, it's clear criteria, and sticking to those criteria is also very important. To give you an example, in the Czech Republic, we had, uh, after the spike um, in the number of cases in the fall of last year, 
the new Minister of Health, uh, Mr. Blatney, came up with uh, a, a system of, uh, of uh, indicators uh, called PES, which was an abbreviation, but it means dog in Czech. And, uh, and the system was quite uh, predictable, well-designed, because it said, okay, if this and this and this um, uh, things happen, uh, if we have these and these numbers in, in terms of people infected, dying, hospitals, and so on, then we are at this uh, level. We are, uh, it means that we are on uh, on the scale of one to five. Um, that's how the system was, uh, was devised. We are on level, let's say, three. And if we are on uh, the level three, that means that uh, these and these measures uh, uh, are in place. People cannot, uh, children can go to school. Uh, these and these establishments are closed, and and so on. So that was understandable and and quite predictable, and it worked for about two or three weeks. But then the Christmas time uh, came, and the politicians decided that uh, sticking to the system would not be very popular with people because. Uh, the level of infection uh, before Christmas last year in the Czech Republic was so high that uh, that the, uh, the the highest uh, uh, level uh, number five would have to be triggered and um, and the government said okay we will stay at number three uh, and so although uh, if you looked at all the indicators used in this system the country was. Uh, in, in, in reality was at, at, at level five, the government operated as if it were on level three. And that killed the whole system. The, the system was basically um, killed by political populism. Uh, and, and after that, it was slowly phased out. And I'm mentioning it simply because, uh, yes, things can work, but you have to be, uh, you have to be prepared to uh, to stick to your um, decisions, and uh, and you have to be able to present criteria which are clearly defined and understandable. If if you don't have that, then you have, you don't have the trust of uh, of the public. Certainly, and also a very important uh, cornerstone of the communication uh, between the public and the, uh, the political sphere are uh, the media. Uh, and I would be wondering how you would assess the performance of Czech media in this crisis, or maybe of European or Central European media. Are there big differences or best case examples again? Well, I would argue that, uh, um, of course, in the media, Private media. There has been a lot of sensationalism. Uh, there has been a lot of there have been a lot of attempts to um, to play with disinformation and then so on, or with uh, unverified theories because it actually uh, brings a lot of attention to those media. So in the Czech Republic, we have seen um, uh, during this crisis uh, so-called experts. Some of them uh, very uh, very well respected people in their fields who decided that uh, these and these restrictions are not right, or some of them even argued that uh, that we don't really need um, any kind of um, any kind of restrictions because uh, this is like uh, a flu and and so on. And of course that 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 you cannot you cannot prevent this from being played out in private media because it's kind of material they live on and and so on. 
But I would say that in general, um, the, the public uh, public media, in particular, have been quite quite good. Um, um, and also, I think that especially those countries that have good um, public television, public radio, um, they they have been able to to give people. Uh, uh, good explanations, uh, rational discourse, and so on. In the Czech Republic, certainly, it's a case, and you can see how how um, uh, the countries where the public media have been basically uh, uh, either killed by the governments or compromised, such uh, for example in Poland or in Hungary, how they actually uh, were. Um, uh, struggling, uh, the government was struggling with its attempts to, to get uh, a trustworthy message to, to the public because uh, you can have a trustworthy message or, or, or a message that is sort of um, supported by real arguments, but if you deliver it through uh, a, a state television, which uh, has no independence from the government, then you are immediately suspect of manipulating and so on. So. I would say that the countries that have uh, good public media have done, in general, better than um, than those countries uh, where uh, where public media have been uh, politicized. And do you think uh, the crisis can strengthen the position of public media for longer term? Well. Um, I think uh, if you look, uh, you know, I cannot really um, judge it by, uh, I, I, I'm not a good judge for other countries. Uh, I mean, I, I, I follow German media, public media, uh, but the German public media have, uh, have traditionally been strong and very well respected. Uh, but in the Czech Republic, uh, certainly um, you can see that uh, Czech television and Czech radio have uh, actually benefited from this uh, crisis simply because if people really want reliable information, they go to them. Uh, and it it actually uh, is uh, confirmed by a number of uh, uh, public opinion studies uh, which show that uh, the, the trust in public media have, has increased uh, uh, significantly during this crisis for good reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay, that uh, would definitely be one of the positive outcomes of this crisis if it happens. Uh, thank you for that. I have another question coming from the audience, uh, which is coming back at uh, the question of the civil servant law. And the question is, what is the proper level of depolitization of civil service? Uh, is there any, uh, uh, any way how to measure that? Well, uh, a very good question. Uh, I don't think that there is any uh, ideal model which you can you can say this is this is uh, the model uh, because we have thought about what's ideal and this is this is what we think in, uh, should happen in every country. Countries have different uh, cultures, um, different uh, histories, and so uh, one has to take into account. I think that. Uh, one has to take into account political history and uh, and and uh, traditions of, of, of each country, but in general, uh, I think that uh, the most uh, majority of EU countries have a model in which um, 
the state, uh, the civil service is depoliticized to the level of deputy uh, ministers. Um, there, in this system of civil service, there is usually a, um, someone who presides over this system and, and shields uh, civil servants from political pressures. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, in most European countries, it's also common that you have uh, state secretaries who actually uh, at each ministry are uh, sort of uh, uh, the figures of, of, of state administration as opposed to political uh, political figures. Um, in in, in uh, post-communist countries, however, unfortunately, uh, a lot of efforts have been made to um, uh, to politicize uh, at least this level of state secretaries and uh, deputy ministers. And uh, because uh, the arguments are, for example, that uh, a minister cannot really work efficiently if he has to fight all the time with um, a state secretary of the or or uh, a, a deputy minister who is not politically appointed, um, and so um, attempts have been made to um, to sort of uh, compromise this uh, uh, this level of the politicization. Um, uh, on the other hand, of course, one has to be careful how far you go because politicians need to make decisions. And if they uh, if they are totally if their hands are totally tied, then uh, it may be also uh, quite unproductive and uh, um, and uh, um, we can see a parody of that in the famous British uh, TV series uh, as Prime Minister. <laughs> we certainly all have watched that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you were uh, mentioning the political pressure, and uh, my next question would be: uh, Both Germany and the Czech Republic are heading towards very important elections uh, in the autumn. Uh, to which degree uh, are the current decision uh, decisions during the COVID pandemics uh, being influenced by this upcoming elections. Well, um, unfortunately, quite a lot. Um, in uh, the Czech Republic, we already uh, saw uh, how um, uh, calculating with the election results may actually uh, influence uh, uh, the rationality of, of, of political decision-making. Uh, because last year, of course, in October, we had regional elections and Senate elections. And uh, uh, the government of Mr. Babish was unwilling to make certain, uh, to accept certain restrictions which were, um, which were necessary at the time, because they 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 wanted to um, give people uh, the feeling that uh, you know we uh, we are still doing quite well and people are people don't have to do certain things and so on. To be more concrete. Uh, the elections were held on uh, October 9, uh, and uh, when the school year started and uh, the students and pupils went back to schools, um, the suggestion of the health ministry was that they wear masks. The prime minister said that it will not happen because this would, uh, this would uh, um, limit uh, um, uh, students' uh, uh, ability to to socialize and 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 
educate themselves and so on. So it was not done. The result was, of course, that we had uh, a huge spike in the number of cases in uh, the second half of October. In November, the Czech Republic became the most infected country in the world. Uh, if we count uh, the number of cases per 100,000 people. <clears throat> and it was all because I think um, this, uh, this unwillingness of, of politicians to, to, to take except certain steps uh, because, because they didn't want to upset voters be before the elections. Um, so now we have uh, elections coming up in the Czech Republic, in Germany. Uh, in the Czech Republic, we can already see how the government is really trying very hard to, um, to, to show that it will be able to relax uh, uh, very tough measures that we have now in place because uh, a lot of people are unhappy with the government for, uh, for not being very systematic and, uh, and for basically um, getting us into this third wave of, uh, of, of the COVID epidemic. Um, but the question is whether uh, we really uh, are in a position to to start relaxing some of the measures. Uh, uh, in, uh, uh, in in some countries, when um, you have 100 uh, uh, people um, per 100,000 who who are infected um, per day, then uh, you uh, it's 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 a reason for alarm. Uh, and that's when you start uh, accepting restrictions. Here, we have still, in most regions of the Czech Republic, we have higher levels, and, and the government, government is already trying very hard to relax some of those measures. I understand that um, the patience of the people is not, is not um, endless, unlimited, uh, but uh, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, especially if you have a populist, populist government, led by populist politicians such as Mr. Babish, um, some measures are clearly adopted uh, regardless of what experts say and uh, with this political political um, uh, agenda. In Germany, it's more complicated, I think. Germany, in general, I feel, is a more rational country than the Czech Republic. Um, it has a fairly high level of political rationality in the system. Uh, plus, of course, um, the healthcare system is uh, federalized. So although there's a new law now that makes that gives uh, the central government more powers, uh, still um, uh, the lender uh, have a lot to say in what measures, how, and, and so on will be adopted. So uh, yes, it, of course, um, the upcoming elections will play play a role. But um, I don't think they will be uh, they will be as important in in what the, the politicians, the government uh, uh, do uh, uh, as in the Czech Republic. Uh, thank you. You mentioned uh, that there are differences between the Czech Republic and Germany, and have been large differences in, in the approach. Uh, towards the crisis. Uh, and we have seen also uh, unilateral steps as uh, border closures, uh, stuff like this. Uh, the uh, transport connections uh, aren't uh, so usual nowadays uh, as, uh, as it uh, is to normal uh, times. Uh, I would be wondering uh, 
Which impact does this whole situation uh, have on the Czech-German relations in general? Well, uh, of course, a lot of Czechs um, commute uh, for work to Germany. <clears throat> so some of these measures have not been accepted very, very well. Uh, I think that uh, especially those people, you know, who go for work to Germany on a daily basis felt that uh, some of the measures adopted by the German government or by the uh, uh, by the uh, particular um, state in Germany were not fair. Um, and there was a lot of uh, chaos because of of some of the requirements, uh, for example, need a need for tests and, and, and so on. Um, But in general, um, I have not seen, uh, I have not noticed a large uh, uh, or a significant worsening um, in Czech-German relations. I think that um, people do appreciate the fact that uh, that uh, Germany has handled the, the, the epidemic uh, uh, not so bad. Let's put it this way: um, that it's not it's not the state that threatens the Czech Republic with high levels of cases and so on. And that is uh, it's doing its best um, uh, with the exception of these extreme measures which were adopted uh, at, at um, um, uh, about two months ago, that it's doing its best to, to stay open and, and so on. So um, I, would, I would say that, that uh, the, the, the relations are quite good. Uh, certainly, um, they were also helped by the fact that uh, uh, some uh, German states uh, offered help to the Czech Republic when it was uh, uh, when its hospitals were overflowing, and uh, and although in the end, uh, I think only one or two people used that uh, uh, because it was um, uh, to some extent bureaucratically quite difficult to to do this paperwork and so on. Um, Uh, it, it was it was seen as a very positive gesture, and so um, I think that um, um, and also of course vaccination and the offer by Germany to to provide the Czech Republic with some additional uh, vaccines and also with uh, um, when the Czech Republic was uh, looking for help uh, with some medical equipment and so on. So in the end, um, it's part of this larger picture where people realize, okay, this is a global affair. Um, our national government is not able to cope with it on its own. And uh, in fact, we are very lucky to have, uh, uh, to have uh, this large neighbor with a rather rational um, government who is willing to help. And, and it's also seen as part of a larger picture, of course, the European Union and how things work in the European Union. So yes, um, I think that uh, the relations in uh, with Germany uh, certainly have not have not been um, damaged by any way. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that Germany offered uh, the help for patients uh, in the situation when it was the worst uh, in our country. Uh, I would be wondering if it was not a problem that Czech Republic declined that offer at that moment. Uh, yes, um, that was of course. Um, um, quite unfortunate, I think, because um, the uh, of course the Minister of Health wanted to show that our system still can cope and uh, that we can move people around. So, if for example some of the hospitals uh, 
uh, across the border from Germany are uh, are uh, overflowing. We can move those people to hospitals um, in inland and uh, in certain other parts of the country. But from a purely rational point of view, and you know the the logic of European cooperation it didn't make much much sense because obviously if uh, if a hospital in Hep, which is uh, which is right at the German border, cannot cope, and uh, hospitals just across the border, 10-15 kilometers away in Germany, are offering help, then it would make a lot of sense to to utilize that help rather than flying someone or taking uh, someone in an ambulance uh, 200 kilometers in the Czech Republic. So um, it was a very, a very strange, um, I would say, nationalist uh, move by that uh, otherwise uh, quite, uh, quite uh, rational and, uh, and uh, uh, I would say, um, not really political uh, Ministry of Health, but... Uh, uh, he probably had its own reasons, but it certainly didn't didn't help uh, uh, the um, not. I don't want to say the Czech-German relations. It didn't help the the perception that uh, that uh, some things could be um, done better uh, if we use the European and Czech-German uh, context. Certainly, and we also uh, saw at uh, certain uh, times that. Uh, Czech Republic was presented in German media as a threat uh, because of the high numbers of uh, casualties and uh, of uh, COVID cases. Uh, do you think it has some uh, long-term impact uh, on the image of the Czech Republic in Germany or overall in Europe? I don't know whether it will have a long-term impact, but it did uh, to some extent impact, I think, the perception of the Czech Republic in, in Germany. Um, I, I know from my German friends that uh, they um, they some of them uh, thought that um, uh, the Czechs are not really behaving in a responsible way. That the reason for this huge spike for the fact that we are uh, number one in the world in the number of uh, cases uh, per one hundred thousand people, a number of deaths per one hundred thousand cases. That this is this is a sign of some kind of failure. And maybe it has to do with um, uh, with uh, an inefficient government here, but maybe also with a more general problem of of, uh, of uh, lack of responsibility on part of people in general. So yes, it did it did uh, it did have some effect uh, on how uh, ordinary Germans, especially those who live in uh, in the states neighboring the Czech Republic. Uh, view uh, view this country. So let's hope it won't last for long. Uh, I would like to encourage uh, our audience at this moment that we still have uh, some 10 minutes to go. So if you have any questions, please write them into chat uh, and send them to us. Uh, and I will be uh, I will maybe move to another like very important field, uh, which is the economic recovery after COVID. And uh, I would be wondering. Uh, Which economical development do you expect in the upcoming months? Because some economic forecasts are rather dark. Uh, some are quite optimistic. Uh, so what do you expect? Well, so um, since we are talking about uh, uh, Czech-German relations, 
uh, a lot in this in this discussion. Uh, I would say that the Czech Republic uh, will do uh, only as well as Germany does. Thirty uh, percent, or actually more, thirty thirty five percent of Czech exports go to Germany, uh, and um, uh, 80, more than eighty percent of Czech exports go to the countries of the European Union. So we are uh, a small export oriented country, uh, which uh, cannot do it on its own. If if the German economy for some reason collapses or doesn't do well, no matter what we do we will not be doing very well. Uh, so, and vice versa, if the German economy uh, starts improving rapidly and there is a lot of demand, uh, then uh, since a lot of uh, products are coming from Czech factories um, to Germany, the Czech Republic will, will, will do well. Um, but that said, we have to say that the Czech government uh, adopted its own uh, measures. Uh, it uh, it used the fact that the Czech Republic is, uh, of course, uh, uh, one of the countries in Europe with lowest lowest debt, uh, and was able to borrow um, or to print, to be quite precise, a lot of money. Mm. <clears throat> and that means that um, the effects of this crisis are not, uh, uh, from the economic point of view, are not as tangible as they would be otherwise. Uh, I think that uh, not all of the government programs have been very well run, very efficient. Uh, we certainly see a lot of small entrepreneurs and businessmen who say, you know, I never got any government aid, uh, uh, no matter how many papers I filled out and, and so on. But in general, I think um, if you look at the numbers, uh, the situation is not is not so bad and 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 uh, if you look, for example, at the rate of unemployment in the Czech Republic, still after one and a half years of COVID epidemic, uh, we have uh, one of the lowest unemployment rates in Europe, if not the lowest. Um, so, so I think that uh, um, it will uh, it will of course um, have some effect, maybe with a delay. Uh, but a lot will be uh, a lot will depend on on um, uh, how things go in the European Union. For a country like the Czech Republic, of course, uh, the, the package, uh, emergency package that was adopted by, by the European Union is, is extremely, extremely important because uh, uh, it, uh, it will give us a lot of funds to do certain things which we would not be able to do otherwise. But what is even more important that it is tar it targets um, uh, certain areas. It, it is uh, it is devised in such a way that, for example, uh, the green economy should benefit, uh, digital uh, digital technologies, and, and so on. And since the Czech Republic in many ways has been still uh, a, uh, a classical industrial country with a lot of... Uh, car making companies and heavy machinery making companies and so on uh, this this package these hundreds of millions that will flow into the Czech Republic with a targeted purpose um, could help us to to make to make a switch for example to uh, technologies which are more friendly towards the the environment and that I think is very uh, very good and very promising.
that definitely would be very desirable. Uh, but I'm wondering whether this Czech government is really capable uh, to um, set up a really clear plan for the future. Uh, do we have uh, a kind of vision what uh, to do, how to use this money really correctly? Well, just uh, uh, one of these days, I don't know if it was yesterday, today, uh, the government is actually uh, presenting its uh, its national recovery plan to um, uh, Brussels. Uh, uh, and uh, this plan will be then used by Brussels to allocate money to the Czech Republic. We don't really know exactly what, what is in the plan. Um, and to answer your question more specifically, given our past experiences, uh, there are reasons for doubts that... Uh, that uh, it will be designed in a way that is most helpful to do to the Czech economy, to doing those things that that we could do if we used it uh, productively. Um, but um, uh, but at the same time, since there is so much pressure on, for example, uh, green projects, um, because you have to uh, certain uh, certain number of funds, certain number of money. You have to use just for, for example, uh, changing the, um, uh, fighting the the ecological um, problems and so on. So, it pushes it pushes the country against its will to do certain things, and that is helpful. Just like when the European Union pushed the Czech Republic to adopt a civil service law, um, we do know that then the Czechs try to do their best to undermine the law. But uh, at least something is in place. Without the European Union, it would not be placed. Uh, it would not be in place at all. Uh, what is more, um, what is really important is uh, also who, who governs here. Um, as I said, in general, state institutions are not very strong. Civil service is not very strong, and that of course may slow down some of the efforts and and may actually. Um, be an obstacle in um, in using the money from the European Union productively. But uh, if we have, for example, a government, as opinion polls suggest now, uh, led by uh, by the pirates, which is this centrist, despite its name, of course, uh, it's not an anar uh, anarchist group, but uh, a centrist liberal. Uh, party uh, of young people mainly who really are at home uh, in with digital technologies and uh, and would like to um, modernize the Czech uh, civil service and state administration and also are very much in favor of green technologies, then perhaps it could be used productively. Um, if we have, uh, after the elections in October, if we still have in power populists, uh, uh, and um, we will still have projects uh, in uh, in which uh, uh, from which money uh, is diverted to unknown um, uh, causes. Uh, then, of course, it may be less effective. Uh, so we 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 have to wait and see. But certainly, uh, in the Czech Republic, at least, not so much in Germany. We are uh, at a very important point right now. We could, uh, after the elections, we could move into what I would call post-post-communist era, um, um, 
um, because at this point the country is still ruled by post-communists. Uh, and that would that would mean a generational change and also a change of the outlook. People, younger people, younger politicians who uh, are more European and see need for for modern technologies and so on. Um, if that doesn't happen, then of course a lot of that money that is headed for the Czech Republic may be actually wasted. And uh, and quite frankly, um, as uh, Czech Commissioner Vera Jourova, who is responsible for best practices the European Union said uh, the Czech Republic would be the first country against which uh, this new provision in, um, in the um, tied to the emergency package will, could be used, uh, the rule of law uh, provision, which says that if there is, um, if, if the money is not used uh, uh, in, in line with the European laws, uh, subsidies could be uh, stopped or uh, streamlined. So um, a lot, a lot is at stake here in in the Czech Republic, and uh, we'll see how it will uh, develop. But of course, speaking since we are talking about uh, Germany, it's also a very interesting development that the Greens are now uh, leading in opinion polls, and that that in some ways is similar to what we see in the Czech Republic. That this this new party of, of young people uh, concerned about the environment, ecological issues, new technologies uh, is leading the polls and uh, it seems to be the case uh, at this point in Germany as well. So uh, we will see how that will develop. Uh, I have one last question, uh, which is about a very different topic. Uh, but anyways, I will ask you, uh, it comes from our audience. Uh, do you agree with the statement that uh, Sputnik is a Russian tool of hybrid war? Uh, is it also such politicized topic in Germany as much and, uh, as in uh, Czech Republic or Central Europe in general? Yeah, unfortunately, I think that Sputnik is uh, primarily a tool of uh, some kind of hybrid war. Uh, it may not be um, judged on its own merits. It may not be uh, a bad vaccine in the end. Uh, we don't know because this uh, this vaccine has not been uh, subjected to um, the test tests by uh, appropriate or it's being subjected to that test right now. It's being uh, examined by appropriate European agencies. But but uh, in those countries where the Russians have uh, uh, been able to um, to export Sputnik II um, in, in Europe, in the countries that sort of bypass the, the common European approach, such as Hungary or some, some countries in the Balkans, uh, we can see all kinds of problems, or Slovakia, uh, that uh, the Russian side has not um, supplied uh, proper documentation. Uh, it has uh, uh, sometimes uh, delivered, like in Slovakia, um, uh, Sputnik, which is not identical with uh, with the one that was uh, mm. uh, that was uh, so highly praised in uh, in one of the scientific ma uh, magazine journals. So um, at this point, I think that. Uh, it is mainly a tool of Russian propaganda, which is supposed to show that, yes, we can also produce this highly sophisticated product. <clears throat> and uh, and uh, hopefully, if it is approved, then this will be over. <clears throat> then there is no reason not to use it. If the European Union 
um, confirms that it is usable, good. Uh, that's the end of it. But at this point, it been, it's been used mainly politically. Uh, thank you very much for that. And uh, thank you for joining us in this discussion and for sharing with us uh, so openly and frankly your views. Uh, I uh, think you gave uh, our participants a lot of uh, food for thought uh, for the upcoming days uh, of their seminar. Uh, so thank you very much. I would like to thank also our audience uh, for the attention. And uh, hope uh, you will have a nice afternoon and hope to see you again soon. Goodbye.